This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for being with us all week long and a big hour coming your way. Admiral Stravitas is going to be here. Johan Ari, author of the best-selling book, Stolen Focus. We'll focus on what's happening with social media. And with me in studio, if you're smart enough to have gotten Fox Nation, Senator Ted Budd. Senator, great to see you. Great to be here, Brian. Thanks yeah. for having me. All right, before we get started, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Mexican police have received an apparent apology letter handwritten claiming to be from a drug cartel. It has not been authenticated. It included a photo of five men lying face down, and the letter says that they went against the cartel's rules of, quote, respecting the life and well-being of the innocent. Yeah, that is unbelievable. You believe that? Sorry for killing and kidnapping your people. That's the message from the drug cartel for what they did to four Americans. Apology not accepted. Number two. Why do you think you were excluded from those calls? I, I, because it was, it was told to me that uh, they wanted a single narrative and that I obviously had a different point of view. He is totally and unequivocally incorrect. I had nothing to do with who would be on that call. Who do you believe? Anthony Fauci pushes back on the former CDC director, Redfield, for accusing him of icing Redfield out of pandemic decisions while pretending he's open to the lab leak theory. Number one. What we found in the files was a sweeping effort to turn the Internet into an instrument of censorship and social control. Unfortunately, our own government appears to be playing a lead role. Too bad. Uh, that's pretty big news, don't you think? But it's, it turns out the whole hearings was despicable and laughable. That's how I describe the Twitter file hearings as two anything but right-wing journalists put detractors and doubters to shame, talking facts about what really was going down uh, with the government, lawmakers, and Twitter before Elon Musk bought it. It shows pure censorship, and for me, reason Dems are afraid to hear this. With me in studio, Senator Ted Budd. Senator, uh, thanks so much. I know it was on the House side. But Matt Taibbi's Twitter uh, revelations with Barry Weiss and Michael Schellenberger have been earth shattering. I mean, if you see so this, does the FBI paying three point four million dollars to shadow ban, ban or follow uh, these individual users during the 2020 election over the course of years? There's all operations together to push forward in this Russian narrative that got into the bloodstream because it would be on Twitter, picked up by uh, CNN, MSNBC and others. Why don't Democrats see it that way? Well, it goes against their narrative. What we see is, you know, it's a battle that started back in 1996 with the CDA, Section 230, Communication Decency Act. And they're saying, this is a, this is a platform, uh, or is this a publisher, or now it's a publisher. They can do whatever they want. But we're saying, you know what, this is a cozy relationship between government and a private company. And because government directed a lot of this censorship, that's a violation of First Amendment rights. I mean, we have Adam Schiff calling in saying, yeah, get this shadow ban. You should pull this guy down or or you better get rid of this tweet. And send with Angus King on the Senate side, Very making sure that his opponent's tweets weren't out there or shadow ban. That's, that's big news. 
It's huge. It's a violation of rights because it comes from government. Look, if a if a company wants to be the publisher and they want to say you can or you can't say this in your newspaper, but once it becomes a platform, absolutely not. And once you involve government, then it becomes a First Amendment issue. So the Republican GOP is right to call this out. We need to dig deep, and I'm glad that it's being exposed. All right, so your take uh, on the apology from the cartels. Sorry we killed two of you guys and kidnapped four Americans. We uh, put those guys, they're in trouble. So this mob basically said, sorry for killing innocent people. Do you accept the apology? Absolutely not. Let me tell you what I heard in all 100 counties in North Carolina. You know, I just ran this statewide race, went to every single county, talked to sheriffs in almost every county. They say every single county is now a border county because of Joe Biden's policies down there. And so what the cartels have done to come across our borders, uh, because Joe Biden created an opportunity, they've run right through. We've got fentanyl. We've got opioid. We were finally getting it right in 2018, 2019. We were going backwards in opioids deaths. We were we were we were gaining ground on this, but it just completely blew the doors off under Joe Biden. And now we've got a massive problem. We're losing 80,000 people a year. And I, I lay this right at his feet. And cartels are completely exploiting this opportunity. So here's what Lindsey Graham wants to do about it. Cut 20. They're terrorist organizations, not just criminal enterprises. They get most of the material, or a lot of it, from China. So why do I want to make them a foreign terrorist organization under U.S. law? If you provide material support to a foreign terrorist organization, you can be prosecuted prosecuted in U.S. courts. So any China link to the drug cartels, we would have ability to take them in the court. We could write the FTO so it doesn't change immigration law for an individual uh, applicant. I want to call them terrorists. Then I want to do the second thing, allow military force to be used not to invade Mexico, not to take down the Mexican government, but to break the backs of these cartels that are killing 70,000 Americans a year. And uh, President Arbador of Mexico says, no, I'll never allow that. And it's America's problem. There's no fentanyl here. We have a decadent society. What's your reaction, Senator Bud? You know, first of all, back home, they lay off the drugs. But when it goes down to the border, we've got to secure our border. I'm talking with Lindsey Graham about this, talked with him yesterday about it. You think it. you'll support it? Yeah, this is something I want to look at the details of because uh, the devil's always in the details. But look, these people are creating, in effect, terrorism. And just as bad as the drugs is the human trafficking. Unprecedented in, in history. Well, you know, if ISIS was there, uh, we would just take them out. Oh, absolutely. And so what's I, I the would difference? Look, we've had dozens of people come through just this year that are on the terrorist watch list. So this is a massive problem, and it's not just about drugs. It's not just about human trafficking. Each unto themselves are horrible, horrible issues we got to deal with. But this is also about national security because people are coming through that are on the terrorist watch list from over 190 different countries people have come through. All right. Uh, I want to bring you to – it was the House side, but I want to bring you to some of the outrageous behavior that took place yesterday uh, with your Democratic colleagues. Listen to this, uh, this congresswoman from the, the Virgin Islands, Stacey Plaskett. Uh, listen to her go at Matt Taibbi, one of the most respected journalists around, who, by the way, has targeted Fox. He's a friend of the show. But, you know, he is no right wing journalist. But listen to how she plans on using her time. Cut eight. This isn't just a matter of what data was given to these so-called journalists before us now. There are many legitimate questions about where Musk got the financing to buy Twitter. I've been a reporter for 30 years uh, and a staunch advocate of the First Amendment. Uh, Ranking member Plaskett, um, I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the I.F. Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written 10 books, including four New York Times 
New York Times bestseller. And while he's answering, she's out there going through her notes in her bag as if ignoring him. So diminish the reporter and and oh, just dismiss the story. You know, maybe we can diminish her as a congresswoman. She's actually a delegate since it's uh, not, she not from a state. No, she can be a she can be she can vote in committee. She can't vote on the floor. Um, she is a delegate from the territory. Uh, but I would say, look, if it doesn't fit the Democrat narrative, and that's what this is about, uh, then they will they'll, they'll sideline you. That's what she's trying to do right now, calling him so-called journalist. Doesn't always agree with us. I think that's why uh, you know it was chosen to be released to him because he's fairly balanced. Uh, he can speak to the left. He can speak to the right. Not a partisan figure here in Taibbi. All right. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to bring you back to the president made his uh, announcement about his budget over the weekend. Uh, oh, yesterday. Kind of leaked that over the weekend. Uh, major tax hikes involved in this. Uh, he's also going to increase uh, taxes on these. The biggest uh, folly is taxing unrealized gains on stocks. So, for example, if you don't cash out your stock, you're not taxes. When you cash out, you pay taxes. But if you hold on, he still wants to tax you. Do you get a refund if you have a bad year with that stock? Yeah, they're not giving that money back. And let's let's think about it this way. We don't have a taxing problem. We got a spending problem. And Joe Biden, you know, while we have, we talked just a minute ago about the border, he's giving a paltry 350 border agents is what he's funding. But while at the same time, because he thinks we have a taxing problem, he's hiring 87,000 IRS agents. 350, we have that many people illegally coming across in, in an hour in some sectors. Right. So this is absolutely ridiculous. It is. And I think he's given 1,400 new uh to fund the EPA, he's adding uh, 2,400 EPA workers, and he's going to continue to fund his 87,000 IRS agents. He says, well, some of them aren't new. We're just we're, – some of them are retiring, so we're just replacing them. Well, what you realize about the- what taxes are going to be like this year? How many of your constituents in North Carolina are going to be audited? They got, what else are they going to be doing? Yeah, you want to talk about a recession if this thing passes. But I tell you what, even though I'm in the U.S. Senate, I was in the House last year, but thank God for a Republican U.S. House because that's going to put a stop to this. That's why it's DOA. Right. Do you think the, Senate, uh, do you think the House should write their own budget? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So if anything, they want to say do not touch Medicare, do not touch Social Security. Do you, believe, do you agree with that? Well, for the next several years, we have a very small window where you can reduce non-defense, uh, non-Medicare, Medicaid uh, spending. So you don't touch those and you can or you actually you can take the non-defense and you can lower that. But if you don't touch Medicare, Medicaid and you don't touch defense, you can and you take the other stuff. You say, let's just put it at 2022 levels. All this discretionary you mean stuff, 2019 levels, 20, 2019 well, levels, pre-COVID okay. levels for the non Defense, non-entitlement. What will be wrong with that? We don't have a pandemic. We've got a lot of money out there just not being used. Senator Ted Budd, always great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in the studio. Brian, thanks for having me. And don't get, don't get in trouble in New York, all right? No way. I don't want to have to bail you out. Back to uh, North Carolina tonight. All right, so we're to Florida next. Admiral James Stravitas will be joining us uh, from Jacksonville. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house. 
whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Ro. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. <laughs> His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think Vladimir Putin is very much taking a longer-term view. He's convinced that he can make time work for him, that he can grind down the Ukrainians uh, through this war of attrition, that he can wear down Western supporters of Ukraine. Therefore, the challenge, I think, is to puncture that view. And that is William Burns of the CIA. Uh, I am trusted he's not just winging it, that he has intelligence to back that up because Vladimir Putin doesn't care about casualties at the very least. Admiral James Chavides joins us now, 16th Allied Commander at NATO and best-selling author. Admiral, what are your thoughts about Burns' comments? Uh, I think Bill Burns, whom I know very, very well, is spot on. And don't forget, Brian, he's a former U.S. ambassador to Russia, speaks fluent Russian. He's studied that nation deeply over the years. He knows the Russians are capable of taking a lot of casualties. So he's absolutely right. There are two clocks ticking. On the one hand, it's Putin burning through troops and equipment. The other clock is our support here in the West for the Ukrainians. My view, we've got to maintain the support. If we do, Ultimately, time will be on our side. So, not Putin's. eighty rockets yesterday, as far out as Lviv, uh, uh, Lviv yeah. uh, as well as Kiev, and they were aiming for the power stations. Not necessarily successful. Where do they get these rockets from? And is it true hypersonics were used? Yeah, it's pretty shocking, frankly, in terms of a waste of assets. Um, Putin only has 50, maybe 100 of these hypersonic cruise missiles. They go five, seven times the speed of sound. You literally can't knock them down with conventional air defense. He shot five or six of those. And A, it's frustration because his previous attacks are not getting through significantly. B, it tells me he's literally running out of equipment if he's got to go to his very best stuff. And C, I think he's demonstrating to the West the ability of these hypersonics, which is something they're a little bit ahead of us on. So that's why he did it. 
but it's not going to be a winning strategy because he's going to run out of them over the next few weeks if he continues at this pace. Right. So evidently there's a pause in Bakhmud of as Wagner regroups. What have you heard? Uh, the same. And, and by the way, I just want to put Bakhmut into perspective. We hear a lot about it these days. Everyone's talking about, OK, I get it. Here's a, an actual number. It's the 57th largest city in Ukraine. It's not a significant place. It's got comparatively, it's the same 57th largest city in the United States is Henderson, Nevada. So it, it's not going to create some sudden pivot in the war. It's attained a certain symbolic value. And yes, the Wagner Group is having difficulty resupplying. The Russian conventional forces aren't very good. I think that Zelensky wants to hold on to it so he can continue to attrite those forces, kill them. And if he does that, at the end of the day, if he walks away from Bakhmut, it won't matter. He'll have broken a great deal of Russian military capability there. All right. So I just wonder when the Patriots are going to get there, when the tanks are going to start arriving. Uh, do you have any idea what's going on? Yeah, I, I track this pretty closely with folks in the Pentagon and elsewhere. And um, they're moving. You know, I, I, my beloved Department of Defense, we're good at a lot of things, but high speed delivery is probably not one of them. I think the tanks are probably still some number of months away. But here's the good news there, Brian. The Europeans, of course, who are right there in Europe, they have simpler tank systems like the Leopard or the British Challenger. Those will get there, I think, in a matter of weeks. Patriots uh, training is going to wrap up quickly, and I think you'll see those there again in weeks, not months. All right. So I want to bring you to China. Avril Haines talked about China, the DNI, uh, talked about China and their goals. Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, under President Xi Jinping, will continue efforts to achieve Xi's vision of making China the preeminent power in East Asia and a major power on the world stage. To fulfill Xi's vision, however, the CCP is increasingly convinced that it can only do so at the expense of U.S. power and influence, and by using coordinated whole-of-government tools to demonstrate strength and compel neighbors to acquiesce to its preferences, including its land, sea, and air claims in the region and its assertions of sovereignty over Taiwan. Oh, there's nothing really earth-shattering about that, but last week calling us out directly, saying we're looking to surround them and, and and stop them well, and calling us out, not through their public media, which they own, but directly, I thought was significant to you. I do. And, and you've got to put it in context with where G is. In the fall, he was anointed for a third five-year term as the head of the CCP, the Communist Party. What just occurred, and I think was the stage for him making these very direct remarks against the United States, was him being anointed to be the president, two different jobs. So now he effectively controls the Communist Party, the country as the president, head of state and government, and he's also the head of the military, the commander in chief. So what he is now doing, Brian, is talking big to his base because he's got problems internally. His economy is not doing well, it's on track at best for 5% growth, which for them is terrible. Only 3% growth last year, wave of COVID. He's got internal problems, so he's talking aggressively against the United States to try and distract that domestic audience. He's playing to his base. 
Also, I think it's significant, too, that it was Japan and South Korea are talking again. Guam has yep. expanded. Philippines, we have a greater presence with this new leader. Uh, I just hope we respond with military spending at home. Final thought? Um, we do need to increase defense spending. And final thought in the Pacific, Brian, on Monday, we're going to announce a new alliance with Australia and United Kingdom to move nuclear submarines there. The Australians are going to operate nuclear submarines. That's another big development we need to press on all those fronts. Yeah, we sold them to them. They might as well use them. France loved that. Uh, we all remember that how, that, how that went over. Admiral, that's great news, though. I love the new intelligence. Thank you. You bet, Brian. Talk soon. Have right. a great weekend. Yeah, you too. And some areas, it seems like we are responding. I just think he could rally the country around doing it everywhere, from TikTok to selling land to getting them out of our schools and our colleges. How about it? Johan Harari's next. Arthur Harari, author of Stolen Focus. You're going to love his perspective. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yoan Hari's here, uh, author of Stolen Focus, been on before, but not in person. We just interrupted his life from various locations before. <laughs> uh, but his book, Stolen Focus, still on the bestseller list, now out in paperback, right? Yeah, that's right. So, Stolen Focus, why you can't pay attention and how to think deeply again. Uh, Yoan, too, you also mentioned to me that you've been endorsed, or the supporters include... I, uh, this is the only book in all of human history, I'm pretty sure, that will be praised by Oprah, Hillary Clinton, and Tucker Carlson. So right. I'm like, okay, I'm in the sweet spot where... <laughs> right, be, because everybody has one of these. Yeah. And even 15 years ago, with the, remember these called the Crackberry when, yeah. uh, when Barack Obama said, I need it to keep in touch with people, and the Blackberry we thought was going to be around forever? It got so much more damaging with this. Why is that? Well, this is what I wanted to explore with the book, you know. I could feel my own attention was getting worse, right? With each year that passed, I could feel that things that are really important to me, like having conversations that last for a while, watching movies, reading books, were just getting harder and harder. It felt like they were like running up a down escalator. Do you know what I mean? And I could see this happening to huge numbers of people around me, particularly the young people in my life. I know this is an issue you really care about as well. And, you know, I think about seeing them just completely unable to focus and apply themselves and realizing, you know, this is going to cause all sorts of problems to them. I would say to anyone listening, you know, think about anything you've ever achieved in your life that you're proud of, whether it's starting a business, being a good parent, presenting a radio show, learning to play the guitar, whatever it is, that thing that you're proud of required a huge amount of sustained focus and attention. And when your ability to focus breaks down, your ability to solve your problems breaks down, your ability to achieve your goals is really diminished. So I wanted to understand, you know, why is this happening to us? The evidence is really clear. We're in a big attention crisis. Why is this happening? So I went on this big journey all over the world. I interviewed over 200 of the leading experts on attention and focus. And what I learned is actually there's scientific evidence for 12 factors that can make your attention better or can make it worse. And loads of the factors that can make it worse have been hugely increasing. So like you, at the start, I thought this is going to be mostly about the phone. And there are aspects, particularly of the apps we use, that are designed to hack and invade our attention. And we could talk about that. And that's very important. TikTok especially. Oh, TikTok is the, the worst. But, um, and, we could talk, and, and it's designed to be the worst explicitly. We can talk about why. But the, 
the but actually there's all these factors going on but i actually left it weirdly optimistic because once you understand what's doing this to us we can then begin to deal with it but if you just think there's something wrong with you a lot of us are just thinking well i can't pay attention it must just be that my willpower isn't good enough my kid can't pay attention there must be something wrong with my kid's brain but actually there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing wrong with your kid there's something wrong with these big forces that are doing this to us but we can deal with those forces together. Well, but you don't think it comes from the iPhone, the iPad? It's a big factor. So, But what um, is the major factor? <clears throat> if it's only a big factor, what is the major factor? Actually, there's so many factors from the food we eat to the way our kids' schools work to the way our offices work. But in terms of the tech, so I spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley interviewing the people who designed key aspects of the world in which we live, people who designed the stuff that your kids are using today. And the thing that most struck me speaking to them, Brian was how sick with guilt they feel. You know, one of them, a guy called Dr. James Williams, was at the heart of the Silicon Valley machine. And one day he was speaking at a tech conference where the audience were literally the people who designed the apps we're using the whole time. And he said to them, if there's anyone here who wants to live in the world that we're creating, please put up your hand. And nobody put up their hand. Right. And not long afterwards, he quit and became, I would argue, the most important thinker on this subject. But so what him and many other you people... You don't give his name? Or? Yeah, Dr. James Williams, great okay, guy. And um, he's now at Oxford University. And, and um, what him and many other people at the heart of the machine explained to me is if you open with your phone now, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of the mainstream social media apps, they begin to make money out of you immediately in two ways. The first way is really obvious. You see ads. Okay, we all know how that works. The second way is much more important. Everything you do on these apps, including in your so-called private messages, is scanned and sorted by their artificial intelligence algorithms to figure out what makes you tick, what turns you on, what you like. And they're figuring that out for a very simple reason. Every time you or your kids open the app and start to scroll, they begin to make money because you see ads. And every time you close the app, that revenue stream disappears. So all of this genius in Silicon Valley, all this AI, all these algorithms is geared towards one thing and one thing only, figuring out how to hack your attention and your kids' attention and keep you scrolling as long as possible. So that is, uh, that's diabolical. Uh, They say, well, Mm. that's the market economy, that's free market, but it's unknowingly doing that. I guess in one way you might come back and say, well, aren't subliminal ads like that? So subliminal ads uh, have you do things that may be involuntarily, but... And if, for example, if you if uh, you let's say you do an interview and you put it on YouTube, you'll get clicks. Uh, so the goal would be to get as many clicks as possible because you get paid by the click. And when uh, lots of YouTube, do you also think that's part of the process? Because now you're trying to suck me in. You're getting paid for, <laughs> for that. I stay on the line. I stay uh, engaged longer. The important thing to understand, because you're absolutely right. There's a market and we want a really big market component to the economy. But we all agree there's some things we don't want in the market. You think about when we were kids, we had had leaded gasoline and it was discovered that leaded gasoline was really screwing up people's brains, really harming kids' ability to pay attention. So we banned leaded gasoline and moved to unleaded gasoline. And as a result, the average American child is five IQ points higher than they would have been had we not done that. And I don't think anyone... I never heard that, but that's great. It's amazing. And, And, you know, even very hardcore libertarians who I have a lot of respect for, I don't hear anyone saying, let's go back to leaded gasoline, right? That's No one says that. So in the same way, for all of these factors that are harming your attention and your kids' attention that I write about in my book, Stolen Focus, there are two levels at which we've got to deal with this, right? 
I think of it as defense and offense. There are loads of things that everyone listening can do to defend themselves and their children right now, today, against these factors. All right, so let's go over some of them. Give you an example of two. I go through dozens in the book, obviously. But how do you, by by the way, how does this fit in with Social Dilemma? It's pretty much the same thing. They want to research what happened. Did you see Social Dilemma? Lots of the people in that are my friends. I was interviewing them as as they were doing it. Yeah, yeah. And a a side note, when I showed my teenagers that, they were offended. And they they have been using less since they saw that because they saw they were being manipulated. Do you find that when you you expose people to the facts on how they're being used by this device and by the people behind it that they have a little bit of pride? Rather than saying, so what? They say, no, no, I'm going to stop. Yeah, especially when you explain to people the ways in which it's making them angry and depressed and making their lives worse, which we can come, come back right, but to. But I want you to go to the 12. Yeah, so if we look at these, these 12 factors, you, you ask for specific examples of things people can do. So I go through loads in the book, a huge range of things. But I'll give you an example of two straight away that I would recommend everyone, particularly people with kids, do. Go online and order something called a K-Safe. I don't get any money from this, by the way. I should have bought shares in this company before I started promoting it. Um, it's a plastic safe. You take off the lid. You put in your phone. You put on the lid. You turn the dial, and it locks your phone away for anything between five minutes and a whole day. Everyone with kids, all my friends with kids, I, I persuaded them to have an hour a day where them and their kids put their phone in the in the case safe, and just they have to look into each other's faces, right? They have to talk to each other, um, and that quickly becomes one of the best hours of their day. It's difficult at first. They don't want to do it at first. Not just the kids. The adults don't want to do it. But once they start to do it, I use that three hours a day to do my work. I would also recommend everyone install on their phone an app called Freedom. It can cut you off either from specific websites. Let's say you were addicted to Instagram. You can say, don't let me go onto Instagram for the next four hours. Or you can, it can cut you off from the entire internet. I would say install Freedom on your kids' phones and let them be on the internet an hour a day, two hours a day. Let them be on TikTok 20 minutes a day. But if they're on it the whole time, that's having catastrophic effects on their attention. So I go through dozens of these individual ways we can defend ourselves. But I want to be really honest with people because I do not feel most other books about attention are leveling with people. I am passionately in favor of these individual changes. They'll make a huge difference to your life. They're not enough to totally solve the problem. Because at the moment... It's like someone is pouring itching powder over us the whole time and then leaning forward and going, hey, buddy, you should learn to meditate. Then you wouldn't be scratching the whole time. And you want to go, well, screw you. I'll learn to meditate, but you need to stop doing this to me. This is not happening because you failed to be disciplined or I failed to be disciplined or your kids have something wrong with them. This is happening because these really big forces are doing this to us. So we've got to take on these big forces. Now, I'm pro-tech, right? I like tech, just like... You know, the fact that I want restaurants to be inspected to make sure the kitchen isn't dirty doesn't make me anti-food. It makes me pro-food. But what we want is tech that works for us to help us achieve our goals in life, not tech that works against us to screw with us so that, you know, a tiny number of people in Silicon Valley can can kind of get rich off of screwing screwing us over. Absolutely. How do you feel? You you mentioned artificial intelligence is working against you. Now we have this week, ChatGBT. And people are saying, you know, they get scary and we see that uh, they have a political point of view. Uh, They're thinking on their own now. Even the creators seem somewhat uh, wary of it. Have you tackled this at all? I think it's a bit overstated, to be honest. ChatGPT is impressive in some ways, but actually it's not thinking on its own. If you look at the scientists, it, it can look like that, but it's not. It's basically just impersonating what it reads on the Internet. 
Um, and there'll be lots of really good uses for AI. AI can spot cancers that doctors So miss. it's just Google? It's just searching? Almost like Siri? In a very sophisticated way, yeah. In a more sophisticated way than a Google search. But there's going to be loads of good uses of this. Just like there's loads of good uses of social media, right? But what we want is to have it working in a system that works for us, not against us. Just like think about the leaded gasoline. Yeah. We don't want to get rid of gasoline. We don't want to get rid of cars, but we want to have cars that don't screw up our brains, right? You can, Johan, you could stick around, right? Sure, of course. Yeah, good. So uh, we've already decided, and this is what gives me hope. Vaping was so hot, you'll never stop it. We really curtailed it because we educated people on it. Smokeless tobacco, another example. Cigarettes is probably the greatest example. Drinking and driving. If I talk to an 18-year-old now or a 25-year-old, it has been so well imprinted, the dangers of it, so dramatically different from the 1970s and 80s when people kind of give it a wink and nod and would appear in movies. So if we enlighten people, I do believe we'll react. That's why your book is so important and your beliefs are so essential. When we come back more on this, you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Sometimes I have really bad climate anxiety and I think maybe I don't want to have kids. I don't really want to bring kids into this world. What's something that's extremely common right now that you think will look stupid to the future? Reproducing, having kids and bringing them into a world where the climate crisis has made it untenable to live in. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? I don't know. And let me tell you why I don't know and why I'm not planning. One, by the year 2050, most of us should be underwater from global warming. It's been a really rough week for my eco-anxiety, so I decided to go on a hike in the National Forest here. But I kind of want to start talking about common climate misconceptions. I'm currently learning so much at once, and it's giving me a lot of climate anxiety to just have all of this information. So that is just some of these teenagers talking about uh, the climate and other things that they think the world's going to come to an end. And a lot of that stuff, Johan Hori, is, uh, who's the author of Stolen Focus, is coming from the Internet, coming from social media, also coming from education, which is another issue. But you do find that a lot of these teenagers are overridden with anxiety like never before. I mean, I think they're right to be worried about, they're right to want to take action on global warming. Obviously, you don't want them to be hopeless and think we're all going to die because that's... And not have kids. Yeah. I think, though, I think it's worth thinking about a few things about why they're feeling so bad. So, and uh, not just kids, actually. There's some factors in the way the internet is currently harming our attention, which obviously is the subject of my book, that that are playing out uh, in really disastrous ways. And you can understand because we can fix that, right? So, like we were saying... The longer you scroll, the more money they make, right? That's their business model. Just like the head of KFC, all he cares about is how much KFC did you buy this week and how big was the bucket you bought. All they care about is how many hours did you spend They don't care about your health. Nothing. Literally nothing, right? And when you see their own internal leaked documents, that's all they care about, right? So they discovered, they set up their algorithms, they set up the artificial intelligence to just scan everyone's behavior and figure out, okay, what keeps people scrolling and what doesn't, right? So they they setting it up and it's scanning all of us and they bumped into it. To be fair to them, this wasn't their intention, but they discovered an unfortunate fact about human psychology, um, which had been known about for a long time. It's called the fancy term name for it is negativity bias. Human beings will stare longer at things that make them feel sad and angry than they will at things that make them feel good. You ever seen? Never a car, knew that. Well, you ever seen a car crash on the highway? It, you played out for you, right? You stared longer at the car wreck than you did at the pretty flowers on the other side of the street. This is very deep in human nature. It's one part of human nature. 
10-week-old babies will stare longer at an angry face than a, than a happy face, right? Now, that's always been a little quirk of our, our, our psychology. But when you combine it with unbelievably sophisticated technology that learns about you personally, everything you like and don't like, it leads to a terrible outcome. So picture two teenage girls who go to the same party and go home on the same bus. And they both open TikTok to do a video about it. And one of them says, that was a great party. We had such a good night. We danced to Ariana Grande. I loved it. And the other one does a video where she says, Karen was an absolute skank at that party. And her boyfriend's, he starts just insulting everyone, right? I don't know if I can say skank. I apologize. I um, can't. Hey, Eric, can we say skank? <laughs> no, he said no. Okay. Uh, we have to leave. Well, whatever. You have to go. Uh, you have to go. Uh, have to, let's leave. I apologize to yeah. all skanks listening. But yeah. the, the, it starts just, does a video, the second girl does a video that's just insulting and insulting people, right? The algorithms are scanning for the kind of language you use in every video you post. And it will put the first video into a few people's feeds, but it will put the second video into far more people's feeds. Because if it makes people angry, they're going to stare at it longer. What do you mean? What do you mean she's a skank? They're going to get into a fight. They're going to argue. They're going to fight back. Um, So they're going to scroll longer. And a nice video makes people go, oh, that's nice. And you might want to put down your phone and do something else. An angry, hostile video... Um, makes people stare longer and argue longer on the screen. Now, that's bad enough for teenage girls' mental health. We all know what's happening to the anxiety levels of teenage girls and boys to a lesser but still very significant degree. But then imagine that being applied to the whole society, right? Where everyone is like, we've got a problem here, let's find a solution. Everyone is reasonable and nice. They're kind of muffled and pushed to the back. And everyone is like, it's a catastrophe. We're doomed on both sides of politics. It's a catastrophe. We're doomed. Screw them. The other side's the devil. They get pushed to the front. They get given a megaphone. So it's not just, obviously, most of my book, Stolen Focus, is about how our individual attention is being destroyed, right? Um, and our kids' attention and what we can do about it. But it's not just our individual attention. Our collective attention is collapsing. It's not a coincidence that we're having these huge crises of our ability to listen to each other, come together and achieve anything at the same time as we're having this big attention crisis, right? They're, I think they're very closely connected. Because the connected. negativity attracts and the negativity attracts more people and you stay with it longer so that that group grows and the, polar, and the, and the, and the, the gap between the groups grow. That's exactly the right – that's a brilliant way of putting it. And if you look at – don't take our word for it. Look at Facebook's only documents – So Facebook set up a group to figure out, are we encouraging this extreme polarization where the left is getting crazier, the right is getting Mm. crazier, and no one can talk to each other? And so they got their best data scientists to look at it. And they came back. We only know this because it got leaked by a really brave whistleblower. They came back and said, absolutely, we are promoting toxic polarization. In fact, they discovered that a third of all the people in Germany, in Germany, who joined neo-Nazi groups joined because Facebook's own algorithm specifically recommended it. Unbelievable. You might want to join, it said, followed by a neo-Nazi group. Now, that's not because anyone at Facebook is a neo-Nazi, obviously, but it's because if you've got a business model based on the negativity, exactly. So that's why there's lots of things we've got to do about this, protecting ourselves, but we've also got to regulate them so they don't use that model anymore. Another reason to pick up his book, Stolen Focus, he's become an expert on this because he had to be. Yoan Hari, thanks so much. Oh, cheers, Brian. Really enjoyed it. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Yes, the same Manhattan that has a mayor that has decided to send illegal immigrants to college. No joke. We got 40,000 illegal immigrants. He's going to try this little pilot program. He's going to send about 1,000 to college at Suffolk, uh, in Sullivan Community College. And we're paying for it. It's not like he's coming off a war chest like Mike Bloomberg could actually write a check for it. Uh, and just some of the craziness that's going on with our dollars while the president submits a budget, uh, just jacking up the deficit as well as taxes. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Mexican police have received an apparent apology letter handwritten claiming to be from a drug cartel. It has not been authenticated. It included a photo of five men lying face down, and the letter says that they went against the cartel's rules of, quote, respecting the life and well-being of the innocent. So get this. Sorry for killing and kidnapping Americans. That's the message from the drug cartel for what they did to the four of four of our people. Apology not accepted. Thank you. Number two. Why do you think you were excluded from those calls? I, I, because it was I was told to me that uh, they wanted a single narrative and that I obviously had a different point of view. He is totally and unequivocally incorrect. I had nothing to do right. with who would Never. be on that call. Yeah, yeah, nothing to do with closing schools, nothing to do with the vaccine, nothing to do with locking out uh, the CDC director, Robert Redfield, from all decisions as related to the emerging pandemic from China. Who do we to believe? We'll discuss it. Number one. What we found in the files was a sweeping effort to turn the Internet into an instrument of censorship and social control. Unfortunately, our own government appears to be playing a lead role. Despicable and laughable. That's how I describe the Twitter file hearings as two anything but right-wing journalists uh, put detractors and doubters to shame, talking facts about what really is going down with government lawmakers in Twitter. It shows pure censorship. And for some reason, the Dems thought they would just try to tear away at this guy's credibility. With me right now is Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, I don't know how much of the Twitter hearings you saw, but does anybody who did any research, would anyone believe that Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger should have their be looked at as right wing zealots with no journalistic credentials as they were tried to be labeled by Democrats? I think uh, Taibbi made a fool of his interrogators, uh, Brian. I I work with uh, Matt's father, I guess, Mike Taibbi in Afghanistan. Uh, He's an excellent reporter, and his son uh, has followed in his footsteps. I'm very proud of what Matt Taibbi has, has accomplished and, and un, un, uh, uncovered. It's, uh, it's shocking. Uh, old, uh, old Twitter was indeed Big Brother attempting to control the public narrative. Uh, I'm delighted with the way uh, Matt and his colleagues have, uh, have exposed that. Uh, they, uh, it seems to me also that uh, the Democrats are absolutely outclassed, out, out, uh, outplayed uh, by uh, by Taibbi and the and the real life journalists who are exposing something that uh, really needed to be exposed. Never again uh, can be used uh, uh, vis-a-vis uh, Twitter. Never, never again can these uh, social media platforms be used for propaganda, Brian. 
It was unbelievable. I mean, at one point, this woman, Congresswoman Garcia, had, had no idea what was going on, no idea who Barry Weiss is. Listen to some of this exchange. So instead of saying, what did you discover? Who are your sources? What do you mean, who are your sources? We all know what happened. Elon Musk paid $44 billion for Twitter. Took, uh, he took journalists who we looked at, screened, and said, you guys got great reputations. Here are the books. And then what they emerged from that is the story. But instead they said, who hired you? When were you brought in? Who are your sources? Listen to some of this. Cut nine. When was the first time that Mr. Musk approached you about writing uh, uh, the Twitter files? Again, Congresswoman, that would. Uh, I just need a date, sir. But I can't give it to you, unfortunately, because this this is a question of sourcing. So you're not going to tell us when Musk first approached you? Again, Congresswoman, when you're asking me to re- yes no. you're asking your journalist to reveal so a source. You, well, sir, I just don't understand. You can't have it both ways. But let's move on because no, he can. He's a journalist. No, he can't because either Musk is the source and he can't talk about it, or Musk is not the source. And if Musk is not the source, then he can discuss. No his one has yielded. The gentlelady's the out of order. You don't and get to speak. And she's out of order because he's recognized. The gentlelady's not recognized. You're not recognizing my time. He has not said that. What he has said is he's not going to reveal his source. And the fact that Democrats are pressuring him to do so is such a We're asking him about his. You believe this? I don't. I don't understand how the the rule that what a journalist how a journalist gathers a story is absolutely privileged unless they're breaking the law. Uh, in this case, it seems to me uh, that uh, that Musk picked the right people for the job. Of course. The job they are doing is, is revealing uh, the rot, the, the cancerous uh, nature of the predecessor to the current new Twitter. Uh, about time. Glad they did it. Glad they have the guts to stand up. And, uh, you know, a cautionary tale for Congress folk. Don't make a fool of yourself, uh, you know, your, your first time out, and you don't understand the basic rules when it's a journalist, just lay off. So I, I want to bring you to the COVID, origins of the COVID virus. Robert Redfield, great reputation, wonderful intellect, was said this a couple of days ago. Cut 15. Why do you think you were excluded from those calls? I, I, because it was, it was told to me that uh, they wanted a single narrative and that I obviously had a different point of view. This was a narrative that was decided that they were going to say this came from the wet market and they were going to do everything they could to support it, to negate any discussion about the possibility that this came from a lab. And he ended up feeling that really more than likely came from a lab. So he was just knocked out of those meetings. Fauci was asked about that from Neil Cavuto yesterday, cut 16. I really feel badly about that because I know Bob a long time. He is totally and unequivocally incorrect in what he's saying that I excluded him. I had nothing to do with who would be on that call. That call was organized by a group of evolutionary virologists in order to discuss the possibility that this might actually be a virus that was actually engineered. So I didn't put anybody on the list of that call, nor did I take anybody else. He never closed schools, never said anything about a mask on or off or double or triple. That his policies. So who do we believe here? Well, that's a great question, Brian. Uh, you know, my instinct, because I, you know, I just take a, an assessment of a person like, like you. I just believe you. We've had uh, 20 plus years of experience, but I, my experience with you, Brian, is that you're a straight shooter and you know what you're talking about. I feel the same way about Fauci. However, there is no doubt in my mind but that this was an accidental leak 
from a laboratory that was doing the most precarious kind of research on gain of function and risked what uh, ultimately came to fruition, the deaths of millions, the disruption of the world economy, uh, and, and one of the most devastating public health events in the history of the human race. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I don't know where you go from here. I'm sorry. I, I believe Redfield. Uh, I, I, maybe it, uh, the Fauci has a better explanation. Uh, but I, I think that what, what we the bottom line here is we have to but promise each other as as fellow uh, humans never again to mess around. Uh, you're not God. Stop creating these damn viruses so you could then invent a vaccine to be a big hero. Yes. You're risking too much. Look <laughs> at the cost we paid. It was just horrific. It, it affected everyone listening right now. Their lives were affected in a negative way by uh, by this event, and uh, and I think it came about that some something got on somebody's shoe or a, a bug double dipped. Or I don't know what it was, but it didn't come from any wet market. I love that phrase, the bug double dipped. I hang out with a lot of scientists; they never use that exact turn of phrase, <laughs> but I love it. Uh, so. Uh, Donald Trump, according to the New York Times today, prosecutors are signaling criminal charges are coming and indictments uh, imminent from Donald Trump. He's been invited to go in front of a grand jury that's been convened. Why? Because Alvin Bragg wants once again to find out the the question that everybody needs answered. Stormy uh, Stormy Daniels, did she get paid one hundred thirty thousand dollars in hush money and did he use campaign funds to do it? So. I just thought it was ironic that 24 hours ago I was covering a story where a guy that had 15 criminal uh, previous crimes raped somebody and beat them in the hallway of a apartment building and should have been put in jail. But Alvin Bragg's people did not realize he violated his probation. But we have to crack down on this 2015 transaction between Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen and Donald Trump. How do you feel about an imminent indictment first time ever of a former president that might be a future president? It uh, it gives me uh, agita, uh, it, uh, a pain in my stomach. It is absolutely irrelevant to the American people. This is just more, uh, uh, you know, uh, Trump paranoia going after the former president in a way that's totally unseemly. Uh, it's all about revenge, uh, uh, vengeance, uh, get him. Uh, I just wish all of these post-president uh, uh, criminal cases would just go away. Uh, in my view, as you know, I, I think I think that the former president has uh, has forever forfeited the right to be president again. I mean, that's my view. Uh, the American people will decide that. Uh, but one thing I detest is how they are, uh, you know, uh, campaigning against this guy, just trying anything. And Alvin Bragg, as you suggest, is someone who, if if he really cared about the the American people and the people in the borough of Manhattan where he is uh, a district attorney and a job, uh, you know, an, an office where I, I started my legal career, the Manhattan DA's office, to use the power of that, that powerful prosecutor's uh, office to harass uh, and, uh, and attack the former president just for political reasons is, is absolutely beyond the pale. It's, it, should, it should not be done. Uh, he, I, I wish the mayor had some power over him to talk sense into Bragg. Uh, I know that Eric Adams would be much more sensible in his approach to the former president. Uh, but uh, it's 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 little league is what it is. It's uh, the kind of uh, uh, petty kind of 
uh, borough politics that, uh, you know, that seeks here in some way to gain some measure of, uh, uh, you know, get, get one up on Trump. It's just uh, it's 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 not my scene. I wish he'd change his mind and go and get some multiple rapists and murderers rather than harassing the former president. So they say that you're the expert, you're the lawyer, but they say if Trump is indicted, convicting him is going or sending him to prison will be challenging. The case against the former president hinges on an untested, therefore risky legal theory involving a complex interplay of laws, all amounting to a low-level felony. If Trump were ultimately convicted, he would face a maximum of four years, though prison time would not be mandatory. You're putting together a former former president in jail for four years for a payment made uh, totally allowed, but they want to make sure it didn't come from a campaign because Michael Cohen gave it in? And then he reimbursed Michael Cohen. So it's this really, is why we have to get to the bottom of this. It really is. It's so. It, again, it's little league. Uh, it's a. Uh, it, it's small ball. It's okay. How in the world can we harass Trump? How in the world can we make his life uh, more uncomfortable? How can we try to influence the political arc that we're now, uh, you know, entering into? Uh, I I just really think that it's uh, it, it, it's shameful. It's uh, uh, you know I, I, Trump's a big guy. He'll take care of himself. Uh, uh, he's got lots of lawyers. Uh, but I don't give a damn about Trump paying Stormy Daniels if he did pay her to keep her mouth shut. I think that uh, uh, you can question his uh, his good sense and proportionality uh, hanging with uh, porn stars. Uh, but uh, to, to, to metastasize that into a felony is laughable. It is ridiculous. And again, we've given the backdrop of real crime, uh, real suffering from citizens. To see this bull is, uh, is really, it would be laughable if it was funny. So right now, give me your top three Republican nominees in order, uh, if all those suspected to be going in, go in. I, I think that uh, Trump is still the overwhelming favorite, uh, DeSantis and Youngkin, I, I, I think, uh, in that order. Uh, DeSantis, the sales of his book, you know, selling almost 100,000 hardcover copies in a day, uh, not knocking uh, Prince Harry off the number one perch and the bestseller list. I think that DeSantis, although I don't personally uh, – I'm not crazy about the guy – uh, he seems a very skilled politician, and and he's a comer. I'm not sure this is his turn. His turn. Uh, Youngkin is is like a DeSantis light, uh, but also an impressive fella. So uh, right, got it. You know they they've got plenty. Hey, are you on the five today? Uh, no, I'm in uh, Ohio. I'm on uh, Martha's show at three o'clock. Well, that's almost as good. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be on the five, so I would have had a chance to work you're together. Good, good. You're good. You're delightful on that show. <laughs> As are you, Geraldo. Geraldo Rivera, okay. co-host of the five. A runaway hit, about the hottest show in all television, really. Uh, how about that? It really is. That? Who would have thunk it? Yep, but, uh, and you're an essential member of that. It's always electric when you're on. Geraldo Rivera, now your mission is to have a great weekend. Pull it off, all right? Okay, right. Thank you. You too. You got right. it. Jimmy Fallon at the bottom of the hour. Next year calls 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Novak Djokovic, yeah. you come out, he wants to come here. We will uh, bring He him. wants to play. Florida says okay. But the federal government says since he's not vaccinated, even though the pandemic's over, he can't play. And even though he's had COVID already, he's got natural, natural immunity. immunity. The way they wrote the order, it may be that there's kind of a little loophole so we could bring him in from the Bahamas. I would do it anyway. You would put him on a boat if, in the Bahamas. If he's willing to get on a boat, we'll get him to Florida to be able to participate in the Miami Open. So that's the offer. And you're going to hear it on One Nation this weekend at 8. So but it's spent a day or, excuse me, about two hours with actually less than that. Uh, with Governor DeSantis, we went to his Little League field where at 12 years old, they made it to the Little League World Series. And, uh, of course, he would end up getting a scholarship to to Yale and a uh, four-year starter as a baseball player and captain. So the governor of New York, strong rumors he's going to run for president, would not admit that to us. But it looks he's in Iowa today. It looks as though he's giving it serious consideration. And I think the uh, President Trump is worried about it. No doubt about it. They're going to try to look to label him over the next few, uh, couple of months as a Paul Ryden, Jeb Bush, George W. Bush, old Republican, Mitt Romney. But how can you do that with Governor DeSantis? Well, because you're Donald Trump and you're able to market an imprint like nobody else with these nicknames. But I just don't see it. And I don't think he's worried about it. I do talk about that. We'll also have some other great guests, including Lindsey Graham, uh, Tyrus, Kaylee McEnany, and then Johan Hari, who you just heard here. Uh, so we'll have a, a great show. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, keep in mind, when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Jimmy Falia, uh, Falia and he's going to be doing his show in about 90 minutes. And then we'll be able to take your calls right after that. Uh, busy Friday. So glad you're here. We're tracking it all, including, get this, Mayor Adams has got this great idea. Send illegal immigrants to college for free. Excuse me, not for free. We'll pay our taxpayer dollars. Dumb. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. One of the young leaders was talking to me about climate mental health. I said, tell me what's going on with your peers. Climate mental health. The one example is... You know, whether when they're ready, could they start a family? Worried about what that would mean and the stress of it. Well, that is just some scintillating thoughts, a stream of consciousness for the vice president of the United States. Uh, just a little clip of what, what's on her mind. And she repeats herself 40 different ways after that. After that. Jimmy Failure thinks she's the best vice president ever. Uh, and I just <laughs> Four I more years. A, one of the many things we disagree with. Uh, he's host of Fox Across America on Fox News Radio. He has his own studio, which no one will share with you because you've destroyed it. <laughs> I mean, you filled it up with stuff. And you wonder why people don't go in there. They're afraid to go in there. Listen, if you go to my radio studio, it has all the toys from my youth. Right. It, I thought it looked cool when I said it. Up, but it actually looks like the inside of the white van that promised you candy. <laughs> right, it is a little <laughs> crazy. And by the way, did your parents throw away the the only thing of value, which was the baseball cards that so, would have probably paid so off? One of the worst thing. My uncle Pete Fallow was a mailman in Lake Success. Got me an autographed baseball because he delivered to Whitey Ford's house. He had brought me home an autographed baseball from the sixty one. He lived Yankees. there forever. Yeah, yeah. And he brought me home an autographed baseball from the sixty one Yankees, which I of course walked out to the Abbey Lane parking lot and hit grounders to my brother with that ball and chewed it up like it was a dog. Who raised you? <laughs> I mean <laughs> But you want a really quick kill me? You know what actually got me to start applying myself in life? 
Uh, I was taking out the garbage one day, and I found a bookworm I had made for my mom thrown in the garbage like a day after I gave it to her, which meant it was so bad that even <laughs> ah. my mom couldn't pretend this Did was Did you ever confront art. her with it? No, no, but from that day forward, I worked a lot harder right. at the creative process. That was really the, that was that where was the, the rubber hit the road. Peter Parker got bit by the radioactive spider. Jimmy made a radioactive bookworm in Mrs. Hennessy's class in sixth grade. Right. It was like, wow, this is so bad, my mom won't even hang it on the fridge. Do you have other siblings? <laughs> yes, I was the youngest of three. Oh, okay. Everyone is a cop. My, both of my brothers are cops. My dad was a cop. As you know, I would have been a cop if it weren't for this thing called the background check. But hey, <laughs> there we are. Good night, everybody. No, I didn't know you were going to be a cop. Really? Yeah. No, I, I actually, this is funny, Bri. Um, out of college, I got hired by the NYPD and the Port Authority. And I had already started doing like open mic comedy and stuff. And I was like, I don't need your job and benefits. I'm making $9,200 a year. Right. Get out of here. I'm getting paid in drink tickets at a La Quinta. I don't, what do you mean, yeah. career? Uh, but yeah, it might have been a different world. And you just decided... I'm uh, sticking with comedy. Yeah, I went with the more lucrative profession of cab driving for right. a little while. <laughs> while doing stand-up. Yes, of course. Uh, because – and did they tell you also don't talk about another job or do you use that job on stage? Uh, when you say like – Stand-up. When you do stand-up. Do I talk they... about cab driving? Yeah. Yeah, my act, it's like a 10-minute chunk of my act because like most well, of my While you were here. doing it, were you did, did they tell you to bring it up? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. you bring it up. Definitely. Okay. Our mutual pal, Chris Mazzilli, down at Gotham. The first few TV spots I ever did were because of Mazzilli and my act at the time. That's how like you branded yourself. It's like, oh, see, the guy that talked about cab driving was interesting. See, I took one of those stand-up classes, right? And the uh, first thing they said is uh, they go, listen – you want people in the audience to think this is what you do. Yeah, I get it. Right, and don't bring it up. So I was there. Was like, whatever I was doing, I was doing sports yeah, phone yeah. at the time and doing stuff. I never would bring that stuff up, but that was clearly bad advice. Well, 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 there's a difference though. You had an audience, okay? I was playing like opium dens on the. I don't think so. I know. Like believe me, I had no audience. You're crazy. <laughs> but remember nine seven six one three one three. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's where I got famous. Of course. So I was making twelve thousand a year. Um, Nobody likes a doing show off. a forty. Yeah, I know. Uh, Working 40 hours a week, every seven minutes doing a different update, which is why I can still to this day have trouble slowing down because you got to jam as many scores you as possible work. in and, that time. And back then, it was one of the few ways people were getting real-time scores, and they were gambling on the events. See, that <laughs> so, I didn't know. I know. You I were was, just that's how naive I was. Yeah. I'm like, these are such great sports fans. <laughs> uh, but And there was no all-sports radio then. Then they now came WFAN virtually at the same time, mm -hmm. which was on 1050 and then moved down to 660. Mm -hmm. And now the whole world's doing it. And now I don't even want to listen to it. No, you can't it used to be it. so new, but now I'm just... Yeah, no, you outgrow it. It's right. weird. I did, the, I did the same We've thing. really matured. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Right. It just seems that way. So, Jimmy, first mm -hmm. off, on the original soundbite, which a good host would have brought you to right away no, rather than get sidetracked. Right. Uh, so, again, if you're going to jot things down, don't jot that down. She brings that up, but she can't get to the point. She's actually bringing us something that is actually true. Uh -huh. If you talk to teenagers today, yeah. they are worried about stuff. The world ending. They've been having that jammed in their throat, in their heads yeah. forever. Everyone is so freaked out. Every app they open up tells them that, well, consume it carefully because your carbon footprint's going to kill somebody. There's so much anxiety. It's even with, like, video games. You get this, you know, Xbox. We covered this uh, a while back on Fox & Friends. Xbox has that power-saving mode now. So a kid gets onto a video game to ostensibly escape adult life, and the first thing he hears is the world is on fire. Right. You know, of course they have anxiety. Right. But the truth is a lot of the people who embody what she said, which is these people talking about their climate mental health, don't know if they should have kids, they shouldn't have kids. We wouldn't.
wouldn't be better off if we had more anxiety in this world right now. Right. Everybody in the world is on the verge of snapping right now. That's why I'm so calm on the air. It's because the whole country feels like it's on the verge of being Michael Douglas in the movie Falling Down. Do you remember when he's sitting in traffic and he just loses it and becomes a vigilante? I'm trying to opiate the masses, Kilmeade. One by one. One by one. I didn't see the movie, but you, by explaining it, it, didn't mean, it means I don't have to. <laughs> there right? you go. But, uh, but a, cu- a couple of things. Why is it that people live in the most horrific conditions possible will still have kids? Yep. Now, you go to the Sudan, there's six, seven kids there running around, basically belong to two yeah. people. Mm-hmm. But here in America, where there's, there really is a social safety net, single parent, whatever yeah. your situation is, I can't have kids. It, the world's going to end. There's going to be a tidal wave. Yeah. Or I'll never make it. It'll never happen. Yeah. Uh, I'll never be able to go to the beach again. There's not enough sunscreen in the world. Why is it? Two things. Obviously, one, we're living this life of incentivized anxiety and victimhood. Two, we probably have less kids here. No one likes to say it because we probably have better adult video options than they do in the sedan. You know, there's probably a lot of it's recreational, a lot of encounters that could have been avoided. <laughs> so that's so interesting. You look at the creation of kids to be a choice, like instead yeah. of like an intent. Yeah, yeah. It could be or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No. But it's, it is a choice, and I, I think they value family. I think that's a bigger point here. It goes beyond climate. Is There's kind of a war on the nuclear family here. We know that. So yesterday, Anthony Fauci did what he did best. He did with Neil Cavuto, yeah. and he, again, couched himself. Yeah. I never said to close down schools. Yeah. I never said to wear a mask. I make recommendations. So Robert Redfield said this last week, cut 14. In early to mid-January, I did have multiple calls with Fauci, Farrar, and, and, and Tedros about how important I thought it was that science get engaged in in aggressively pursuing both hypotheses. I also expressed as a clinical virologist that I felt it was um, not scientifically plausible that this virus went from a bat to humans and became one of the most infectious viruses that we have for humans. And he went on to say this, cut 15. Why do you think you were excluded from those calls? I, because it was, I was told to me that uh, they wanted a single narrative and that I obviously had a different point of view. This was a narrative that was decided that they were going to say this came from the wet market and they were going to do everything they could right. to support it to negate any discussion about the possibility that this came from a lab. So the CDC director has got a lot of credibility. He's got credibility on both sides of the aisle. Anthony Fauci was asked this by Neil Cavuto yesterday to respond, cut 16. I really feel badly about that because I I know Bob a long time. He is totally and unequivocally incorrect in what he's saying that I excluded him. I had nothing to do with who would be on that call. That call was organized by a group of evolutionary virologists in order to discuss the possibility that this might actually be a virus that was actually engineered. So I didn't put anybody on the list of that call, nor did I take anybody else. So, so who yeah. do you believe? Oh, Redfield all the way. I right. mean, when you watch the internal emails from the virologist, we're like, hey, you know, this really looks like it came out of a lab. And then a week later, they're openly declaring it was a natural occurrence and they just happen to be getting more funding. Seven million to the Tulane, to the Tulane doctor. Without getting into the minutia of how funding works and endowments and everything in between, the best way I can explain it to you is as the person who controls funding, okay? Controls everything. 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 Imagine, put it in high school terms. You know how kids who have cars aren't necessarily loved? Uh, but if you have a car and you can drive people around, you make a lot of friends fast, that's funding. 
Right. Funding is a funding is an eighty seven Buick Regal in Washington to high school kids. Get so, anywhere. So just so you wonder, uh, just so I'm just concluding now. Uh, I got a '69 Mustang. Ooh. Right. It was a. It wasn't. It, re, it was like a rocket ship. I yeah. thought every car was that fast. I had no idea. That's a nice car. No. 351. Oh, oh, you got a grown-up. Okay. So, yeah. We had but a 289 it, in our family. Well, the only problem is the chassis was cracked, which tend to be dangerous, yeah. uh, especially at high speeds. Uh, and it got about eight miles to the gallon. <laughs> and I had about $8 a month. So you telling me those people that were nice to me were just trying to get in my car? There are rare exceptions. Do you where think I'm one of them? Or no, do you Carga, think you have swag, kill me. I'll give you this. You, think you know so? what? It kills me to give you this, but right. you have so much swag. No, no, you're a naturally likable human being. Right. But we all know the other version of this, okay? And uh, I knew a lot of them growing up. But the one question I have to ask now that you were trotting out that 351 is did you ever race it on Hempstead Turnpike? Were you no. a pike guy? Did you go to Deer Park Ave? Where did you go on? Well, I was, I was afraid to get a ticket oh, okay. uh, because I was raised right. Well, I, don't I grew know. up in a cop family, so I was getting pulled over by guys I knew. <laughs> you know, for real. But, but do, would you get the PBA cards Yes, early? of course. The That's cards, the badges. I had a guy, the late great Don Robert, who was a Nassau County canine cop, who used to arrest me on Friday nights. And he would come up to the Division Avenue bleachers and lock me up, and it made me like a renegade with the women. He's, I'm, See, like, I'm like, Mr. Rowe, what are you doing? He's like, I'm doing you a favor, kid. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. I, like, right. I have a record. No, I, I, I never did. I would just get driven home, but it was amazing. That was a Seinfeld episode, wasn't it, with George Costanza? He ended up being uh, – he wanted to be a rebel, and women found that attractive. <laughs> did you watch the Twitter, Twitter hearings yesterday? Yes. And did you did that make your show or that kind of simultaneously with your show? It was a little bit of both. There was some overlap. We didn't spend a lot of time on it. But what I was so fascinated by is um, the basic lack of a working knowledge of technology. If, you know, getting past the partisanship and everything, it was like poor Taibbi was just explaining to an elderly parent how technology works. Like Congresswoman Garcia thinks a sub stack is something you order at IHOP. Right. She's like, I'll take a sub stack with the butternut syrup. Do we have the three? Do we have the three? Uh, do we have the threesome? Uh, cut? <laughs> Any of that? Did you see that one? So. Uh, so, yeah. The, so do anything with her in it. Uh, Garcia. <laughs> she says, so who? Barry Weiss? He goes, yeah. yeah, Barry Weiss. He goes. You guys like a threesome? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? Uh, Do you think you have it, Eric? It's out In there. your answer, you also said that you were invited by a friend, Barry Weiss. My friend, Barry Weiss. So this friend works for Twitter, or what is, what is her? Um... She's a journalist. Sir, I didn't ask you a question. I'm, I'm now asking Mr. Schellenberger a question. Please yes, ma'am. Barry Weiss is a journalist. I'm sorry, sir? She's a journalist. She's a journalist. So you work in concert with her? Um, yeah. So you're in this as a threesome? <laughs> so what's so funny about that, Brian, is, of course, Barry Weiss, who used to, you know, work at the New York Times. Right, that, that right-wing organization. The, the gray lady, according to Garcia, it's the Fifty Shades of Gray lady. Right. Good <laughs> <laughs> night, everybody. Did you, just, did you just get into that? Yeah, a second ago. That, that's got to be a keeper. That's just real-time conversation. You drive that's me to amazing. new heights, kill me. But let me ask you, is that something you should write down? I don't you, know. We'll you, see. You don't think the context of the conversation Allison, is perfect don't you think you it. should write that down? I'm, listen, let me tell you really quick. I'm, I want that being your next special. I'm trapped in a flesh prison, okay? People talk to me, and jokes just happen in here. It's great. But don't it's you a feel like, time. do you worry about not retaining them? No, no, no. Because you know what it is? It's like you have a thought process, and sometimes the conversation a lot aligns with, like, an instinct. Right. Like, that's not a joke I've ever used on stage or on the radio, um, but it's probably buried in my head somewhere. And you said something perfect. So right. that's you and me. That's, you know, Stockton to Malone. 
I'm alone. You're John Stockton in this one. Now I'm I'm able to handle that, but Allison does not know what the hell you're talking about. Do you not? Does that not worry you that Malone, she didn't watch 1980s? Did he own the bar in Cheers? <laughs> Sam Malone. She thinks she's rolling with her, but she's way off. That's what you're thinking of. See, I wasn't even thinking about that. So I I thought the Twitter files I find fascinating. Uh-huh. Uh, because I'm lonely and friendless, uh, but <laughs> no, d- but car. but nobody covers them. No. And what's so interesting is we live in this world, mm-hmm. but we had Matt Taibbi on, okay. and I had a chance to talk to him. And one of the big things he's stunned by, because uh-huh. he's in the Rolling Stone world, yeah, yeah. where is the interest on the other side? He says, yeah. as a journalist, you don't care how this comes out. Yeah. You got access to the treasure trove of intercommunications with the FBI, the leading social media company, how it relates to 2020. Part of history. Of course. And Nobody the, cares. And the running joke that they're suddenly against exclusives. That's supposed to be the right. biggest thing in the world. As a reporter, you got an exclusive. you got a scoop. Right. Now yeah. this idea everybody gets an exclusive. And now they keep jumping in on it and say, who is your source? Yeah. We all know who your source is. Yeah. If you're paying attention, Elon Musk called you up and said, check this out. Yeah. I looked at your background. You're perfect to have credibility yes. with the because masses. Because you're not conservative. Right. So they go, who is your source? Why are you focusing? It's like instead of walking in the room, you focus on who bought you the front door. Think- Open the door. <laughs> right? Think of how far we've come, okay? The crowd behind Occupy Wall Street wants to pillory the guy who wrote the book about Goldman Sachs. One of the greatest books you'll ever read, whether right. you agree with it or not. It's so well written. And they're like, who's this right-wing MAGA strongman? Just, just Google him before he goes up there, and you, don't, you won't they look don't like a, a jerk in front of everyone. So uh, Jimmy is going to be back in a moment. We have a few more minutes on the other side. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He took cues from his icon, basketball star Allen Iverson, who he said wore his blackness like a suit of armor. And teenage Kaepernick wanted cornrows to match. He's getting what roles, his mom asked? Oh, your hair's not professional. Oh, you look like a little thug. Your mom become. said that to you. Yeah. And... Those become spaces where it's like, okay, how do I navigate this situation now? So that is uh, Colin Kaepernick sitting there with his girlfriend, maybe his wife, I'm not sure, uh, speaking out about his adopted parents. What a dirtbag. And saying that, well, they were insensitive, I guess, because they don't know cornrows was cultural. Uh, basically, how many parents said you wear a suit for this interview? You, yeah, when you yeah. go to school, don't wear those well, ripped jeans. I just jeans. wanted to jump in with this idea that his parents stood in the way of something he wanted makes them somehow evil. Here's a newsflash. That's not evil. That's called life. Do you know how many things I wanted to do in my life? And your parents are like, no, we disagree with this, whether it was optics or anything else. It's clearly not because of his heritage because they adopted a black child as a white family. If they had an issue with black children and black culture, you probably don't adopt a black child, you know, unless there's a hell of a typo in the white supremacist handbook. Maybe there was the the first, the the paperback edition. I don't know. Right. It's just this is how he gets attention. This is a grift. I guess he has another book out. Yeah, I mean, he can't exactly. play quarterback anymore. <laughs> he does not do mass interviews. He did not use that option if he wanted it to become somebody that could be a touchstone for racial justice. There's nobody. No. There's, I mean, there's Al Sharpton. Yeah. I don't know. There's no Martin Luther King. There's no Malcolm X. There's uh, no uh, Medgar Evers. There's nobody. You know, he could have been that guy. Yes. You know what the best voice is on you know race and the progress we've made as a country is Tim Scott. 
but because he has an R next to his name, Tim Scott is getting called names I wouldn't call you in prison. Like if we, I mean, it's horrific the things they say to him. And I mean, his story is probably the best representation of how far the country's come, given what he grew up with a sharecropping grandfather. Right. And he's the first black American in both houses of Congress, but he doesn't exist on the left. Right. His uh, dad was in the military. His uh, mom and dad divorced. Yes. He goes back and lives with his grandmother in what we would consider less than one bedroom yeah. with his younger brother. Mm-hmm. And now it is, they've all these. Houses have just rotted. Yeah. No one would even buy them yep. when they're done. Yep. And that's and now he sits as a sitting center in South Carolina. Crazy story. And his favorite movie is Rocky Three. Same with me. Ha, come on, there I would it think, is. yeah, I think it is. Don't you think it's the best Rocky? It's it's good. It's got Mr. T. In the remake, it's Mrs. T. Do you have a decision? Or are you trying to skirt this decision? I'll give you the win just because of that Hulk Hogan too. So you'll take Rocky Three. Take Rocky Three for the win. Thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> got me on record. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. John Lester at the bottom of the hour. Uh, the outstanding uh, pitcher with the Red Sox as well as the Cubs. Uh, author of a no-hitter and World Series championship, John Lester will tell us about what's going to be changed about baseball this year. Also, he overcame lymphoma in the middle of his career and was able to pitch and do fantastic. What a great message that is. I also think it's important to bring up the fact that baseball will be different between the shifts. Okay, you might not pick that up. What about a pitch clock? What about the fact that if you're not ready to hit with eight seconds left, it is a strike, and you're not going to believe. We was talking. I was talking to Nick Swisher, uh, who played 13 years in the league, now uh, advisor with the Yankees. The players love it because they get off the field an extra hour. So uh, Shannon Bream is going to be here, and I'm going to talk to her in a matter of moments. But first, she said, do the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Mexican police have received an apparent apology letter, handwritten, claiming to be from a drug cartel. It has not been authenticated. It included a photo of five men lying face down, and the letter says that they went against the cartel's rules of, quote, respecting the life and well-being of the innocent. Sorry for killing and kidnapping your people. That's the message from the drug cartel for what they did to four Americans. Apology not accepted. Number two. Why do you think you were excluded from those calls? I, I, because it was, I was told to me that uh, they wanted a single narrative and that I obviously had a different point of view. He is totally and unequivocally incorrect. I had nothing to do with who would be on that call. Who are we to believe? Anthony Fauci pushing back on the former CDC director who said he was left out of all the big decisions on the pandemic because he would not agree with him. We'll discuss it. Number one. What we found in the files was a sweeping effort to turn the Internet into an instrument of censorship and social control. Unfortunately, our own government appears to be playing a lead role. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, Despicable and laughable. That's how I describe the Twitter file hearings as... Uh, Two, anything but right-wing journalists put detractors and doubters to shame. Talking facts, almost what we really was going down as the government, as well as lawmakers and Twitter combined to really have a point of view that hurt uh, the former president of the United States is pure censorship. And for some reason, Democrats wanted just to poke problems with credibility with those two people. 
somebody who has no credibility problems, Shannon Bream from Fox News Sunday, who will tell us exclusively who she booked to be on her show. I thought you were going to say somebody who has no credibility, right. Shannon Bream. I don't think that would be <laughs> Thank good. you. Because you have sorry, way too much. Just and you work bit. too hard. Yeah, and that will be one of the few times you wouldn't laugh. I think when you oh, like, do I laugh uh, too much? No, but if I say if I <laughs> if I attacked your integrity, see, you would say it if I was my normal long distance. But because I'm within punch, punching distance, and you've seen my guns, you're like, I'm gonna just wait. Meaning one arms, out. right? Because uh, well, I don't talk straight. The right to bear arms? Which arms? Right. I don't know. Both of them. I'm the not ones with hurt the you. tattoos. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Both Bremers. I might be the only person without a tattoo that I know. Uh, also, Allison, no tattoos. Oh, good. Okay, Allison. But that leaves us a question about you. No tattoos. Currently? We'll never get one. Really? I don't want to commit to any point of view. That's my thing is that I find it hard to commit to anything for the, my whole life. And then when uh, I'm 80 and it's like sagging and green. Like let's and say hair. love is blind and you feel that way at 40. At 50, you're convinced it isn't. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> You've seen too much of your grizzled yes. veteran at that <laughs> point. You're just like, I can't do it. All right. So I got to bring you to the Twitter files to most uh, biggest under underreported, not unreported, underreported story. And instead of like going out what he said and what they discovered and, and maybe having your point of view on that, think about the credibility of these two guys. Michael Schellenberg goes, oh, yeah, I voted for Joe Biden. And mm-hmm. Matt Taibbi's like, I worked for the Rolling Stone for 20 years. Right, right. Are you crazy? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. And them pushing to say, like, well, who are your sources? And the guys are like, um, just within Twitter. Like, they're not going to divulge their sources. And then later when Jim Jordan presses and says, the ranking member of this committee has been asking for sources. I didn't ask for sources. And they're like, roll the tape. You know what I mean? There's just these these hearings are chaotic. Right, but it's the biggest story and, and I and Matt Tabia has said before, I cannot believe that not no outlets outside Fox are interested in this story. This is huge. And it seems like good old fashioned journalism and the the, the the small L liberal, like you want to push for answers from people in power, whether right. that's you know, government or tech or whatever. Yeah, it seems like something that journalists would be interested so in. So here's the Taibi's prepared remarks. Cut one. The original promise of the internet was that it might democratize the exchange of information globally. A free internet would overwhelm all attempts to control information flow, its very existence a threat to anti-democratic forms of government everywhere. What we found in the files was a sweeping effort to reverse that promise and use machine learning and other tools to turn the internet into an instrument of censorship and social control. Unfortunately, our own government appears to be playing a lead role. Though it's a major statement. Attack mm-hmm. the statement. Don't attack mm-hmm. the guy. Yeah. And by the way, do you know who his source was? Elon Musk did come over and look at the files. Right. What am I missing? Well, and when you see emails that talk about regular conversations and meetings between Twitter personnel and agencies like DNI, FBI, DOJ, then people have questions about, okay, exactly what was going on here. Adam Schiff? Mm-hmm. Senator Angus King, mm-hmm. all contacting Twitter directly with staff and sometimes directly saying, yeah, take this down. What about this? This is not true. This is going to hurt. COVID, mm-hmm. uh, 2020, all this stuff. And they, they will say that there were Republican forces doing that, too, that they would reach out occasionally and say, like, hey, this is inaccurate. Let's play fair. Right. Um, the $3.4 million to the FBI, pretty significant. They couldn't even keep up with all the requests the FBI had to take things down and examine it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think people have a lot of questions about that. And again, the people who are presenting you the information, like, don't shoot the messenger. If you don't like it, then maybe you should probe behind it a little bit. It seems like they're, what they're most upset about right now is that these people were giving access to the information. Right. I thought it was hysterical. This Congressman Goldman says to the U.S., are you, uh, you, do you believe the indictments about the Russians manipulating in our election? And Schoenberg goes, yeah. 
And then Taibbi just says, well, not really. He goes, indictments are a series of allegations. I haven't read them. You know how this goes. Be prepared. Be prepared for what? Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to just memorize every indictment in the world? (laughs) You know what these hearings are about? I just memorize your indictments. Right. It's a smaller pool. It's a smaller pool, but they are very impactful. Mm-hmm. I am in a lot of trouble. I know. I'm, I'm here for you. I am your attorney. I'm for free, so you get what you pay for. But but you have at least two jobs. You never <laughs> focus on my case. Whatever. You have got 18 jobs. Oh. True. Here's Michael Schellenberger talking about what is actually happening and who's funding it. Cut for Today, American taxpayers are unwittingly financing the growth and power of a censorship industrial complex run by America's scientific and technological elite, which endangers our liberties and democracy. I'm grateful for this opportunity to offer this testimony and sound the alarm over the shocking and disturbing emergence of state-sponsored censorship in the United States of America. Big deal. But who told you that? How do you know? I have emails. I got memos. I have proof. You have tweets. We looked at them. I published them. Published them, then gave you perspective. Published paper uh, perspective. So I, I was just exasperated. Well, don't you think that people on all sides should be worried about this? I mean, if, if yes, if the, right. Just saying, like, if, if this can be used against a conservative viewpoint, it can be used against a liberal viewpoint. I mean, whoever's running the show at these different agencies and groups, you don't want it to be shutting down any flow of information if we're talking about a free society. All right. So I want you to hear. Uh, can we go to the threesome, uh, Eric? I forgot oh. what number that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there, there's one uh, cut in particular that this woman, Carmichael Sylvia Garcia, I don't know if they woke her up in the middle of the night and said, you have to go to this hearing, because she was totally unprepared. She did feel a little bit unprepared, ah, as compared ah, to some of the other people. so nice. You don't well, even I'm just wanna... saying, maybe she was having a rough day. Maybe they gave her decaf instead of calf, which she's used to. I don't know. Or if it's instant, either way, it doesn't taste good. Ugh. Sanka. So let's listen. In your answer, you also said that you were invited by a friend, Barry Weiss. My friend, Barry Weiss. So this friend works for Twitter, or what is what is her? Um... She's a journalist. Sir, I didn't ask you a question. Ah, I'm now asking ah, Mr. Schellenberger a question. Please yes, ma'am. Barry Weiss is a journalist. I'm sorry, sir. She's a journalist. She's a journalist. So you work in concert with her? Um, yeah. So you're in this as a threesome. So. Okay, but do you remember his line right after that? He's like. Actually, there were a lot more people involved. <laughs> I'm like, all of this is going to be used as a meme. It's going to be cut for sound bites. Yikes. I, I could not believe it. I was, and um, the analogy I used last hour, and I'm going to go back to it because I think it might be brilliant. It's like going, finding out this huge story inside a house and being fixated on the type of door, never opening up the door to find the story, but mm-hmm. focused on the outside of the door. I'm like, can you possibly talk about what we need to talk about? It's just turned so partisan. And if you're going into this hearing, you have to know who Barry Weiss is. You know what I mean? That's that's a basic headline name in this whole Twitter thing that you would have to know. New York Times. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, the staffer goes, okay, let me just tell you the people. Let me just give you a little bit of background on this. They found a lot of stuff in there. Some of which are Democrats, some of which, but most of which are pro-Democrat and much. Okay, well, well it's helps Biden. And then when COVID came up, this would happen. This is what we found that the FBI was doing. This is what they were told to do and has to do by the CDC. And by the way, these are the three people. Barry Weiss was first. Barry Weiss, mm-hmm. I believe, was the first in there, mm-hmm. followed by Matt Taibbi. Um, maybe you should do prep for congressional hearings as your 19th job. Should you can I help people. There's, I feel like there's a racket there. You know what the best job would be? Huh. Working for Senator Fetterman. Because you would have a lot of responsibility. Because he, he has none. Well, his staff says he's working from the hospital. Right. So. 
We give the staff credit. We we give them the benefit of the doubt. I hope they have one of those translators because he's not able to read, right? Doesn't he need to translate? Well, but we have been told all along that he would continue to progress, so I don't know. Right. And so far we haven't seen that progress. Mm-hmm. We've seen regress. Kind of odd. If I do go in the hospital, mm-hmm. I would hope – What would you, you go would... in for? Like cosmetic surgery? What would it be? Again? <laughs> there's nothing left to do. <laughs> there's nothing left. It's perfect. There's nothing left. I'm, the I'm actually thinking about getting my butt bigger. I have, but I can't if I'm saving up for it you now. You've got to warn me about these topics. A little, topics. Car- I mean, a little you can't Kardashian. Just show out a butt lift and right. throw that out. Is on that what the they radio. call it? I think so. Brazilian uh, butt lift. Are you going to go to Brazil to get it? Yes. Listen, people look beautiful down there. Whatever's happening, maybe we should do like a group right. But that guy, Lula, there. a criminal and a socialist, a communist who loves China. I'm probably going to wait. Okay, you're so not going to get your surgery I'm until after maybe his term. And what was my point? Um, <laughs> was there a point? Oh, my goodness. You said if you go into the hospital. Oh, do you God. want me to update people as to how you're doing in well, there? Well, put it this way. I would hope my family would visit me. Yes. This guy's family, had just the minute you go to the hospital, he took she took her family away. Okay, but they have kids. They, so what? They're not just going to hang That's out at the, the hospital thought. all day. I mean, can someone visit him that likes okay, him? Okay, do we know that he's not being visited yes. by the family? She's not coming. Like she was there. So she no? dropped him off. Okay, but we don't know if she's been back or not with the kids. Allison, could you find out if she's been back or not? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Okay. You are way too nice. I'm just saying, if, if we don't know for sure, I think we should give her the benefit of the doubt. No, You're not going to have little kids hanging out at a hospital all day. I, I'm, right. So they can go to school. You could visit your right. husband. And maybe she has. you got to get in some good food because those places are terrible. Why? What do you make you think that? I'm just saying, I've been in hospitals and you got to bring in like There's always Chick-fil-A something, or something you can eat. I mean, Ugh. people are like, there's nothing to eat. Is there a salad? If there's a salad, you can eat it. Okay, you're already in the hospital, which is punishment enough. You should not have to lay there and eat salad. Trying to get better. So Russell Brand, who's had the most interesting fall from, intentional fall from stardom. He wants <laughs> to fall. Mr. Katy Perry. He wanted to do, yeah. Miss, yeah at one point, that. don't forget. But he, at one point, he lived with a homeless person and they bathed together. I did not know that right. part of the story. It's the most bizarre thing ever. I was listening with Joe Rogan, and then he was on with uh, with... Greg Gutfeld, last night, here's a little bit about how he would solve the problems of the world. Okay, let's hear it. I can see over time Mm. we've come to agree that, broadly speaking, decentralization and meaningful attacks of systemic power are the only way that America and the world can progress to allow people to organize their own communities, to have as much individual and communal freedom as possible, to permit people to live as traditional or progressive lifestyles as they want to, and form new alliances is the only way that we'll be able to confront centralized, institutionalized power, and this is more necessary now than ever. So do you agree? I want to do the rest of this in British accents, <laughs> can we? Because I hear him and I'm like, oh, it sounds so nice. Um, I think he makes a lot of good points. He's so he is, interesting. He is a smart guy. And basically what he's saying is like, left, right, or center, if you think that the government or these agencies, federal agencies, bureaucracies, you know, if they feel like you're running your life and not answering to you, people are going to have to get together and say like, no, I think we would like to decentralize the power, which I think is a very an American an American thing to do. Toughest question yet. He says he stopped drinking, stopped doing drugs, and he found God. Mm-hmm. Can you do all three? Um, I think God is very forgiving. Right. No, I but, think he needs to see that we're making progress. Right. We're trying. I mean, do you have to give uh, all drinking? Can you just oh, say, I'm so. going to be a moderate drinker and like God? No, I think, God... I think that's possible. Yeah. Right. It's possible. Yeah. You drink, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Occasionally. Like, not daily. And you're pro-God. <laughs> I am definitely pro-God. Right. So you proved it can work. It can, but if he struggled with addiction, I'm sure that for him, like, it's all or nothing. Oh, really? For a lot of people, it's like, so maybe he's like, eh, just get it out of there. But listen, um, is he remarried? I think he is. I think I saw him with a woman. I don't think, band, he's, right? I don't think he's remarried. I, I want to say that he was, but, like, I was this rooting for— This is not for, the time to marry I was, Russell Brand. I was, I was rooting for him and Katie. 
I thought they were cute cop. I wanted I them to totally make it. I totally forgot about that relationship. How could you forget? It's like Madonna and Sean Penn. I totally forgot it. That was years. They have kids. How uh, can you forget that? Back, no, they don't. Yes, they do. They do not have kids. No, Sean, Sean Penn. Penn. Yes, not, not with Katie. Madonna. Yes. No. Oh, no, no. No, I'm thinking of, um, what was the guy's name? The British guy she married. They have kids. They have a son. Right. Okay. Not with Sean. Back in a moment. Miss a show? Have to tune out early? No problem. Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back on a couple of more minutes with Fox News Sunday's uh, Shannon Bream. Shannon, before we get caught up in a hard break, can you tell me who's on your show? Yes, Senator John Kennedy, very pithy. We're going to talk to him about the budget, the border, TikTok, fentanyl, all of that. We've also got the president of Finland on. As you know, they share a border with Russia, and they're trying very hard to get into NATO. It's all Turkey. I mean, Turkey yeah, yeah, is Turkey trying to and hold Hungary. them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Turkey is the Hungary main too? problem, but Hungary is also kind of hedging their bets. Um, Viktor Orban does not appreciate some of the things that he thinks Finland has said about how he's running his country. Um, but, you know, I asked the president if he is optimistic they're actually going to make it in. And, of course, Benji Hall. We have a lengthy interview with him. I know our folks cannot wait to see him. You're going to be so inspired. He's freaking amazing. Right. So now something much less important. Okay. Will Smith has responded to Chris Rock. Mm. And Will Smith, uh, Chris Rock came out and said he's got bigger problems than me. It's his, basically is his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes, Will Smith practices selective outrage, selective outrage, because everybody knows what the blank happened. Everybody really knows. I had nothing to do with it. It didn't have any entanglements. She hurt him way more than he hurt me. Aww. So here's what Will Smith said. Well, Will is embarrassed, according to his friend. Will is embarrassed and hurt by what Chris said about him and his family and Netflix. He didn't watch it, but he had people tell him that what Chris said. It's everywhere when you look online, social media. So Will and Jada have no comments about it. Mm. So they've been hurt. So one thing about Chris Rock, he says, I'm not a victim. Don't feel bad for me. Will Smith mm-hmm. just said, now he's trying to be the play the victim. Doesn't Ooh. it seem like that? It's so tricky. But by using the word entanglements, was that... You remember that was the whole thing about Jada. Did they have an understanding? Could she see other people? Did they have the open marriage? Like, there's such a debate about that. And, you know, it's hard when you're in the public eye that all of your personal stuff's going to be thrown out there. But Chris Rock is like, he saved his powder. He kept it dry until he was ready to drop his Netflix. You know, so that's great marketing, if nothing else. Have you ever heard someone say to you, hey, Shannon, I have an open marriage and it's going well? <laughs> no. Thank God I've never had anyone say to me, hey, Shannon, I have an open marriage. <laughs> I just thought <died laughs> like, that. No one's ever said that, that to yeah. me. Like, great. Mine's very tightly closed. Yeah, yeah. Mine's <laughs> not. Not in an open Are marriage. you recording this? Right? <laughs> right. Right. Where's right. the microphone I should speak into? Right. So I'm just saying. like, they No, it seems like a disaster. Marriage. Like, how is somebody not going to get hurt in that scenario? Right. I don't know. So call. Uh, call do you take phone calls at Fox News Sunday? Occasionally. All right, so if you open up the phones, call in. If you're yeah, in an open marriage, yes, if you'd like to. Right. We'll be live on Sunday. That would be we a good poll question. Calls. I wouldn't be surprised if the Gallup people got into this. Yeah, I would like to know. Right, absolutely. So are you going to watch One Nation Saturday? I am. I'm going to see your special. You're playing baseball with Governor DeSantis. I want to know what the heck is going on there. And you have other guests. I'm sure it will be delightful. Right. That's all I need. Somewhat of an endorsement. 8 o'clock Saturday. Shannon, we're watching you all Sunday. Boom. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
They're terrorist organizations, not just criminal enterprises. They get most of the material, or a lot of it, from China. So why do I want to make them a foreign terrorist organization under U.S. law? If you provide material support to a foreign terrorist organization, you can be prosecuted, prosecuted in U.S. courts. So any China link to the drug cartels, we would have ability to take them in the court. We could write the FTO so it doesn't change immigration law for an individual uh, applicant. I want to call them terrorists. Then I want to do the second thing, allow military force to be used not to invade Mexico, not to take down the Mexican government, but to break the backs of these cartels that are killing 70,000 Americans a year. But that's before they apologized. Now all's forgiven. They literally apologized. I, we got, they got mad at their henchmen, and evidently they show pictures of them on the ground face forward as if they did their own mob arrest and turn them over to the government. Now, the Obrador government of Mexico not only is not apologetic, they say we're a decaying society, and there's no fentanyl in Mexico. Okay? Uh, we might have our problems. But you would love any of our worst problem you would love to have compared to what you got going to Mexico. Mr. Six-year term socialist. Unbelievable that he would have the audacity to say that. And that President Biden wouldn't come back and say, of course, you have fentanyl. And don't tell me Trump wouldn't go right back. Tony, listen on WABC in Clifton. Hey, Tony. Hey, Brian. Thank you for your spin on the news. You're amazing. Thank you for taking my call. Your psychological spin is really going to win over America. How? You're showing that the Democrats are losing it psychologically. And they're, what they lack in knowledge, they're showing in emotion. And that's really where you break. And you're really the Twitter, to... the, you're talking about more the Twitter thing than anything else, correct? Everything. I mean, you look at the vice president. She's always over-emotional, no knowledge, just emotion. You look at Anthony Fauci, all emotion, no fact, just denial. It's really a common threat, and psychologically, they're all falling apart. That's my, that's my take on it, and I'm just waiting for them all to fall down. Right. I mean, I'll give you an example. To me, if you look at Bill Maher, and that, that used to be where Democrats were. Where they're left, and people go, oh, I disagree with Bill Maher. Okay. But they are so far out there for the most part. And for those people way out there, they're left out there as the front runners, the face of the party. And I'll give you another example, the guy Harold Ford. If Harold Ford was at the Democratic Party, Republicans would be in trouble because he's center left. Center left would give the Republicans the most trouble. Joe Biden, barely in control of his faculties, let alone his party and the presidency, and then coming up behind failed governor after failed governor, whether it's uh, Newsom or somebody else, that's not going to that's not going to be strong against Republicans. And they go about six or seven deep. And to not look at what happened with social media and to see the service that Elon Musk has done, uh, I think just shows how how narrow minded and lost they are. I agree with so much of what you said, Tony. Eric, listening in Manhattan, Eric. I called about President Trump, but um, your last caller is right. I'm I'm a Trump Democrat. Well, I'm still I'm still registered, but yeah, they are definitely cracking up. I mean, you can see it. Um, they I heard Friday that they were looking at suing uh, President Trump for uh, January sixth, a civil suit, and now of course that's collapsing. So now we're back at Stormy. Like, th- is this how Trump won last time? Is con- is constant? I mean, it didn't help. It didn't help the opposition. You know, making him he, he's a victim. You know, he's he's being gang stalked basically for a president. So. Well, I mean, I mean really? <laughs> this this idiot, uh, people around the country listening to us, Eric, should know 
How many criminals are out on the street with us right now? In fact, we heard about that brutal rape on the West Side by a guy that's been convicted 15 times of various horrific assaults. And now the only reason he was out is because they put him into rehab. He got kicked out of rehab and should have went right to Rikers. Instead, he went right to the West Side. And Bragg says, I got to get that 78-year-old president, former president indicted about a payment that happened six years ago which on the service is no problem. He reimbursed Michael Cohen, who basically said, whatever happened, we don't need you talking anymore. Trump's going to be president. We don't need the headache. So for this attorney general, district attorney, to go after Trump, it just makes New York look awful and reveals how criminal this pro- and, and how diabolical our criminal system is. If you are a Republican, they're going to try to find a way to get you. And they'll indict him. They can do that, but they'll lose. And they'll be fueled even further, Donald Trump. He'll make people say, yeah, I uh, you know, these Republicans go, yeah, you know what? I wasn't going to vote for him, but the way they were attacking him, it'll make him stronger. Perhaps make him stronger. Alex, listening in California. Hey, Alex. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I just want to say that the State Department, State Department gives adequate warning of the risk in places like Mexico, Russia, and similar countries. If an American citizen decides he wants to go to that risk, kind of risky place, he should do so on his own choice. And uh, if he gets into trouble, then we shouldn't make an attempt to rescue him because he's made his decision that that, that risk was worth it. Are you talking about going to Mexico and being assassinated? Usually our neighbors to the south, there was a time until recently where there was really no problem. Want to go to Tijuana for the afternoon. If you're in San Diego, no big deal. They got elite resorts. Uh, You know, we do trade with Mexico more than anyone else. And usually when you go across the border, I don't know it that well. You might know it better, Alex. But when you go across the border a mile in, you don't expect to be uh, shot to death. Mexico has had a drug problem for many decades. And there has been uh, an elevated risk of being killed by those gangs down there. So if you go down there, you do so at your own risk. You shouldn't expect the American people to pay for your rescue. I understand people are fed up, but I also think it's pretty horrific that we can't, you know, we can go. If you went to, if I went to Canada, Alex, if you went to Canada, you wouldn't expect to be mugged or robbed or shot. It's too bad down south. It's not the same thing. Uh, Bill Barr was asked to weigh in about what we go, where we go from here with the cartels gaining strength, not only with the presence in, not only with the presence in Mexico, but in America. This is what he do. Cut twenty three. This particular Mexican government doesn't have the will to deal with it. I think they're content to coexist and allow these uh, cartels to operate against the United States. And uh, you know, we have to be realistic about the fact that this is going to take direct American involvement to deal with these cartels. They can be destroyed. We destroyed the cartels in Colombia when when we uh, did so in the early uh, 1990s. But now we have a Mexican government that says, how dare you, you decadent society? It's America's thirst for drugs. It's a problem. There's no fentanyl here. And we have no problems with the cartels. So how do you handle that? Well, we just take action. If you listen to Lindsey Graham, cut 22. So we need an authorization to use military force to surgically strike the drug cartels that are terrorist organizations operating and to the Mexican government. Here's what I want you to understand. Your policies are not working for your own people. They're not working for the United States. The Mexican president needs to stop hugging these people, working with the United States to take down these drug cartels. He suggested 
uh, that people in, uh, in America not vote for Republican. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to work with Mexico, but I want to let the Mexican government know that if you don't change your policies, we're going to take things into our own hands. We're going to start killing people in Mexico who are killing Americans because they're terrorists. Right. By the way, Ron DeSantis in Iowa today, uh, just something to keep in mind. So where he stands with this, Senator Lindsey Graham would take action across the border. We have to find a way to stop the fentanyl. I think Trump was close to doing it. Maggie Haberman wanted to prove that he was so unstable that he was going to send missiles into uh, Mexico. And now the more you think about it, the more how bad this problem got. It made a little bit of sense then. But there's a way to do it. Wouldn't be rockets, but it would be an attack and a takedown. Now I think the majority of people are saying Trump was right four years ago. I really think so. Uh, Robert, listening in New York. Hey, Robert. Good morning. A minute ago, you were talking about how the release of the prisoner uh, after 15 convictions. If you remember the movie Batman, and they wanted to destroy Gotham uh, by releasing all the prisoners into Gotham and make it uh, chaotic which is exactly what's happening. It's like, it's, it's, it's intentional. I was curious to get your take on that, that everything well, you're doing now is, is intentional. Hey, Robert, it's just incredible, and it's a George Soros-backed uh, uh, AG and, uh, and politicians that put together the bail reform that allowed cr- criminals to run rampant. Now, Governor Hochul came out and called it ridiculous what's going on right now with the rules. You have Democrats coming back, but the mayor is so frustrated he stopped asking for bail reform are you asking there's somebody behind it? Yes, it's George Soros with these with these little known elections that most don't care about. The DAs go in there in the office. He floods the zone with far left DAs and a moderate DA pays for both of them. Usually the far left wins and then they let they go criminal first and we lose the city. So we have to fix it with elections. Be aware of it. But you're absolutely right. I didn't know that was the Batman storyline. So I don't watch enough Batman. I, I see I get confused with all the different people who have played Batman. I thought they should have committed to one. I mean, there was George Clooney. There was Ben Affleck. I heard Ben Affleck was terrible. Uh, who else was Batman? Do we remember? Oh, uh, Michael Keaton was Batman. Until you commit to one Batman, I will not commit to watching another movie. Darren, listening in Daytona. Hey, Darren. Hey, buddy. I- Brian, I love you. You're you're freaking awesome. But you made in all the years that I've watched you, you made one mistake. And I, and think about that. Let, 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 let this gestate. Um, you talked about the EPA, like uh, defunding the EPA and stuff. Uh, there's no solution to COVID. The only solution is a prolactic solution. Prophylactic, sorry, yep. bad word. Prophylactic solution. So disinfectants and stuff like that come into. Uh, and that's all under the EPA guys. So, I, you know, I love who you are and, and, and all your opinions, but this one was like kind of on the cuff, but you need to be educated a little bit about, but, you know, what we have, our options are, you know? Right, well, listen, the pandemic's in our rearview mirror. Next hundred years, we'll come up with a plan. Uh, hopefully we're not going to have a problem. The left, next one, if they, we have another one, it's intentional. But in the EPA... You have they're mostly focusing on environmental causes. They're going into oil and gas companies, into drilling situations, stopping pipelines. Uh, that's what I want to put an end to. But thanks so much for the call and the support. Listen, when we come back, let's talk baseball. New rules, new game, new season. John Lester, one of the best pitchers of his generation, joins us next. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, it's my privilege to talk a little baseball with John Lester, one of the finest pitchers of his generation, author of a no-hitter World Series championship, great Red Sox and Cub, overcame lymphoma too, still the pitch great, one of the toughest guys around too. And uh, he's joining us now. Also, uh, one of the reasons, the second annual Invited Celebrity Classic on the PGA uh, Champions Tour. Uh, 78 PGA Tour champions and 40 sports and entertainment stars, April 21st to 23rd uh, in Irving, Texas, in the Las Colinas Country Club. John Lester, welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, how you doing? Good, John. So are you, you're a heck of a golfer, too? Um, I don't know if heck of a golfer is the right way to say it, but I, I golf, yeah. <laughs> so let me see. Who else is in this field? I'm looking at this. Uh, Greg Maddox, I hear, is really good. Um, Marcus Allen, I imagine, is good. Our own Brett Bear is going to be in this, so please don't beat him. He takes it personal. Uh, and Annika Sorenstam, uh, I think she's a ringer. And yeah, I think I think John Smoltz is awesome. So where do you rank with those guys? Um, I really don't know. Um, you know, I do all right. Uh, I know last year when I played in the Dallas one, I did a lot better than the the other tournaments that I play in. Um, so I'm hoping that that's the case again this year. Um, but you know what, man? Like I go there and I get to see a lot of the people that, you know, I played played with, played against. Right. Um, you know, get to meet cool people like Brett Bear and Monica Sorensen and, and, you know, try to be good at golf, I guess, for, <laughs> for a few days. Then you love competing. So, John, that's there's right. going to be this game. Is Instead of just picking who's the best team and, and why, this year's going to be different. I mean, you got a pitch clock now. You got bigger bases. You have no more shifts. Uh, I was um, uh, first off. Your take? Would you have liked to work with a pitch clock? Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I understand what they're doing. Um, you know, I think we all kind of get the overall idea of uh, what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, baseball, there is a lot of dead time involved, and I guess they're just trying to clean that up a little bit. You know. It's kind of like just any rule, any other rule they they implement. You got to get used to it, and you got to figure out a way to, uh, you know, I guess make it benefit you or or not let it affect you one way or the other. So, uh, you know, I'm seeing what, you know, like what Scherzer's doing. He he's he's having fun with it out there and 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 trying to play that little cat and mouse game with the hitters and and you know not let them dictate things. So we'll see how it all kind of plays out this year. What about for the throws to first? They limited the number of throws to first to keep a runner on. How does how is yeah. that? That's fascinating. You really got to yeah. work it, right? I mean, because if you have already exhausted your throws, you you know the guy's running. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, I don't know how. Obviously, that never really affected me the throws to first deal, but the um, the uh, you know the amount of times you can throw over. I know there's some some strategy to that. You know, like you throw over sometimes because you don't like the way the, the the pitch feels in your hand or. You start second guessing yourself, so I guess you got to kind of pick and pick and choose, you know, when, when you when you're doing it, and you know, hopefully you don't use your two right away, and I guess that guy mm-hmm. can just keep on stepping out there. But um, you know, like I said, we'll see. I understand what they're doing; they're trying to get more offense and and a little more excitement in the game for the fans, and um, you know, speed things up a little bit. So I, I guess we'll kind of see how it all plays out. So Nick Swisher was on with us the other day, played 12 years in the league, won a championship world championship with the Yankees. He says the, the guys love it. He's now in a, he's now a coach with them. He says the guys loving it. Listen. 
for someone like me, obviously the new changes, if you want to be part of the game, you got to continue to keep evolving. And so right now the pitch clock is a little different, a lot more action in the game. But think about it this. Most of the games were three, four hours long. Now the games are like two hours and 20 minutes. The players want it done minutes. too, right? At the end of the day, it's something the players are going to have to get used to. Right. But I think at the end of the day, they're going to appreciate being off their feet as much as they can. There so, are definitely some rules in place. If a pitcher's not ready in time, that's a, it's going to be a ball for the batter. And then if the batter's not ready, that's going to be a strike for the pitcher. So there's definitely some consequences if you're not ready. On I never thought about you guys being on your feet for three hours. You know, for yeah. at the games lasting, how it's exhausting for you guys, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it goes, you know, the fans don't want to sit there for three and a half, four hours, and, and we don't want to be out there for three and a half, four hours either. But, um, you know, I guess I guess there's, there's, there's all, all different ways to look at this. You know, I mean, I think kind of the cool part about our sport is there is no clock. You know, you, you show up and you play nine innings or, or more, and you kind of go from there. And, and however long or short that takes is kind of, I guess, the, the beauty of the game. Like I said, I do understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to clean up the dead time. And, and if that dead time does equate to two-and-a-half-hour games, I don't think you'll hear the players complain one bit. So, John, if I was to ask you for a memory of your career that you would take with you, if you could only take one, what would it be? Oh, one. Um, mm, I don't know if I can narrow it down to one. How about, if, if, how about if I tell me the to, top? The top. I'd say top two would, I think, be my debut. Um, you know, it's every kid's dream, obviously, that, that plays baseball to get to the big leagues, and, and to do that was pretty incredible. And then I would say, you know, number two, uh, tied with a lot of other ones, is, is running in from the bullpen in game seven uh, of the 16 World Series and, and, you know, possibly having a chance of closing that out and, and then, you know, kind of running on the field after after we win. Nice. John Lester, uh, good luck from April 21st to 23rd at the La Colinas Country Club in Irving, Texas, uh, at that big tournament there at the Invited Celebrity Classic. Uh, uh, it's going to be a PGA Ch- Champions Tour event. But most importantly, you gotta, you have to beat Brett Bear. John Lester, thanks so much. <laughs> have a thanks. great year. Thanks for Appreciate joining it. us. Hey, uh, keep it here. Don't forget, Brian Kilmeade, One Nation, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, Fox News Channel. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.